our ushers will help you. I think it's very important that you see the Word of God and view it as that. This is the Word of God to me. Go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 23. Matthew 20. I'm glad to see some of you. I can just see some of your faces vaguely right now, but I'm glad to see some of you out. Thank God. I'm glad you're here today. Blessings to you. I've been talking about the fast here for several weeks and very clear in the scriptures that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it says that man is spirit, soul, and body. So as mankind we are, we are three parts. I am a spirit which is the inner man, my heart. That's what's going to live forever. You know the Bible is very clear that you worship God in spirit and truth. God is a spirit being. And so we are spirits. Number two, I, am a, I have a soul. My soul is made up of my mind, my will, and my emotion. And then this thing right here is just our flesh, just our earth suit, guys. This thing won't last forever. That's what happens, you know, when people die. They, they're buried or cremated, but that isn't them. You know, their heart is what lives on forever. And I think when the scriptures were wrote on this, Father God listed them in the order of significance, spirit, soul, and body. But many times we live in just the opposite. We live more for the, the, the flesh or the physical than we do the spirit. And so our time is dominated by what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to do? And I believe this is one of the reasons why we're to fast, to crucify the flesh, to tell our flesh at times, you're not always going to have your own way. Romans 8.13 says this, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the, the work or the helps of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. And so many of you have fasted a few things the last few weeks, and I believe it's very significant, especially to start the year with, because what you put first will order the rest. Whatever becomes priority num number one in your life, We'll order all the rest. So it's significant that we start the year really focusing in. Go with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, and we're going to try to tie a lot of this together today, all the different things that are uh, part of the fasting that we've studied already, and there's a little bit more in here we've got to get to today. Matthew 23, verse 24. Blind guides who sprain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites or pretenders, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. Now, Jesus is telling us here that these guys, the, the, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of their land. They were very religious, but he's saying here, you paid detailed attention to the ceremonial things, to all the things that uh, were outward. And if you'll notice his very next words in verse 25, he says, But, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Inside they, they ignored an inner holiness. And one of the things he says there is self-indulgence. And I believe that's some of the things that God wants to help every one of us that were not dominated by self-indulgence. And so right here they, they appeared religious outwardly, but inside they were really dead. There was no life to them. And I believe that can happen to us if we're not careful that our, our walk with God is more of an outward act than an inward act. That's not what Father God wants. 
He wants us to get our heart tuned back into him. Verse 26. Blind Pharisees first. And remember what I said. What you put first will order the rest. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish. That the outside of them may be clean also. And so it becomes an inside job. Where I don't let my flesh dominate me. But right here this this tells us here guys. That I've got to start looking at the things of the spirit. And I think of the fast at times. It's going to dig up crud within each one of us. It's going to dig up things in our life. That really, really need to be dealt with. And that can be contentions. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Gossiping. And even being in, uh, judgmental. So I want you to go back to our main text. That we've looked at for the last few weeks. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And you know, as you're turning there, you know, we can come in here and, and we can worship God. We can praise God and we can worship Him. But my public acts of worship, guys, do not fix my private acts of strife, of unforgiveness, of the things I just listed. And so I believe this is why we fasted and prayed to, to take each one of us to new levels in our walk with God. I don't know about you. I don't want to live the same. I want to make my years count on this earth and I want them to count for the kingdom of God. I really do, guys. I, you know, I was thinking earlier today about some of the things that will be happening today. And to, to many, it's a big day of football. And I had to think for a minute, who's even playing Who's even playing? And that, that's very uncharacteristic of me because I love sports. I mean, I can be dominated, but I can see God moving in areas of my life to think, you know what? When we all go to heaven, whoever wins the, what year is this, the 47th Super Bowl or something, who cares? That's not going to be the headlines in heaven. And so, I mean, I'm not saying that's not a big deal, but I think God always tries to get our priorities in life. Let's review just a little bit here in Isaiah. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Now this was one of the first things that the fast was to do. It is for every one of us. And it says right there, tell them of their transgression, tell them of their sins. Now, I believe this is very significant in the society we live today. Guys, you cannot compromise with sin, okay? There are no, well, maybe we can do a little bit of this or a little bit. No. Sin is sin. And how I dictate sin is what the Word of God says. And you know what? This infuriates some of the people in our society right now. When you stand up and you say, this is what the Word of God said. And in God's eyes, this is sin. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what the National Enquirer says. What does God's word say? And I have people tell me numerous times. Actually, I have a niece that will say this. What if you don't believe the word of God? What if the Bible is meaningless to you? Well, you can believe that way, but I'm going to believe this way. I'm going to believe in this, guys. This becomes my guide for life. And I think that's what's happened to, to so many people, even within churches, We've quit living by the word of God. So the first thing with this fast for every one of us is, do I have sin in my life? And if I do, I need to, I need to repent of it. 
The second thing is we talked about this last week, and it's really in verse number 7. And it talked about being selfish, that my, my life isn't just about me. And that was last week, and you saw the significance of part of the fast is to begin to cut away selfishness of my life. Now, I want to go to a third area today. And I want you to see this real clear. Let's start in the same chapter in verse number 4, Isaiah 58, verse 4. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. Now, what's that all about? And to strike with the fist of wickedness. And when I begin to read that, I, I looked at a lot of different translations to help it make a little more sense. The Amplified says, the facts are, you fast only for strife and debate, contention and quarreling. The message says, you bicker and fight and swing a mean fist. Now, he's talking to believers right here. And so when you throw in the word strife and pointing the finger and gossiping and bickering, I don't care if that's within the church. I don't care if that's within your marriage. I don't care if that's within the United States government. When we fight and bicker and have strife like this, the Bible is very clear that a house divided cannot stand. And so I believe right here, even part of the fast was to say, knock that stuff off. If you're a person that is divisive, that is a person who stirs up strife, that stirs up trouble, that's always judgmental or critical, then we need to deal with this. And it doesn't mean that any of us are exempt. Now, if I don't deal with it, look at the result of what happens at the end of four, verse 4. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. So you know what it's telling us here? That if I keep doing these things, guys, my voice will not be heard on high. You know what that means? Your prayers aren't even going to get off the ground. You shut up your ability to communicate with Father God because of this. However, if I'll go ahead and deal with my heart and get rid of this stuff, look at what he says in verse 9, and this is where he picks back up with this at. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Oh man, I'm, I'm telling you, every time I read that, I, I like that. I like the thought that when my heart is right, that I can go and I can pray and I can call out to God and God will answer. And some of you ought to be doing cartwheels, shouting, saying, man, Pastor, that's good news right there. But look what he goes on to say in the next part. He says, you shall cry and God will say, here I am. I'm right here with you in the midst of this. There's got to be a catch to it, doesn't there? Yeah, look at the very next word. If, if. Now the word if tells me that this whole thing that he's talking about, that my prayers will be heard, or when I, when I cry out, he'll be there. It all hinges on this if. So if is conditional. If I meet this condition, this kicks in. Now look what he says. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, the stirring up of trouble. The Amplified says you finger point in scorn and every form of false, harsh, 
unjust and wicked speaking. The message says, quit gossiping and judging. Now, once again, he's talking to us as believers. And you know as well as I do, it's very easy to do this. It's very easy to work in, go to where you work at tomorrow and someone jacking and you jump right in. It's just easy pull for each one of us. And then he says the speaking wickedness, the pointing of the finger. All that is, guys, is being judgmental, being critical. And so it's interesting. This lands right in the midst of talking about the fast. And so once again, I believe God's saying, listen, deal with sin. Deal with selfishness. And then deal with the condition of your heart because I think the Lord right here is telling us, I want to bless you. I want to answer your prayers, but because of all this junk in your life, you barricade the door so I can't come in. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now we're going to get into this a little bit farther today. And I believe this is going to help you. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because it's helped me already. Pastor has to get in there and he has to repent of his sins when I start being critical and judgmental. Can you be critical and judgmental, Pastor? Absolutely. I got a flesh just like you do. Just because I have a title called Pastor doesn't mean I'm exempt from that. I wish I was. It sure helped me out a lot more. You're turning to Matthew 7. I want to quote a scripture there. Luke 17, 1. Jesus said this, that you can't go through life without offenses. You know what that tells me? There's no way around it. You go through this life, someone's going to offend you. So the real, the real issue is then, is when offense comes, what do I do with it? Do I hold on to it? Because normally when I hold on to it, it's going to create unforgiveness, it's going to create bitterness, and I'm going to become very judgmental. Or I can release it and forgive them. Now somehow, as, as human beings, we have this thought, that we think that if we can cause another person to suffer... It will release the suffering on my part. So you know what we do? Usually we try to go after other people. And this is what this is going to deal with right here in Matthew. Matthew 7 verse 1. Father God, give us ears to hear today. Teachable heart, listen to this. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. It's pretty simple right there. I mean, he doesn't cut any corners right here. One translation says, don't dish it out. Now, I believe if we could ever get this down where I didn't judge other people, it would be a key to emotional health and happiness. But I never view when Jesus tells us to do something, that's impossible. Jesus would have never told us to do anything if it wasn't possible. Now, he sits the bar high. He sits the bar real high. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. No way around it, guys. These are spiritual laws. So if I judge other people, people are going to judge me back. There's no exemptions, guys, from this. Keep reading with me. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? You know what a real good translation of that is? Is the message. You know what it says? You look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you got a telephone pole in your eye. Now, that's a pretty, 
pretty crazy graphic to think walking around with a telephone pole in your eye. This is what he's telling us, and what he's getting over here, guys, is the spirit of fault-finding. It's easy for me to overlook my faults, but in return to judge other people. And I believe a lot of this is is a direct result of the problems we have. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let let me remove the speck from your eye and and look, and a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what's interesting here? I believe he's telling us, begin to deal with your heart. Begin to look at your own life and see what needs to be dealt with in your life. And once you get your heart right, if you'll note there at the end, he said, then you'll be able to help get the speck out of someone else's eye. When you help someone else get the speck out of that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're judging them. A lot of times we need people to say, you got sin in your life. And a lot of times right now, when you say that within the church, and what people say, don't you dare judge me. But yet right here, this was for help. I remember when I was a young Christian, I had a young guy that he's a few years older than me, but man, he would come after me in a loving way. I mean, when I would mess up, he would would grab me by the neck and he would say, you can't do that. You can't do that. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's wrong. He shouldn't judge. No, 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 wait a minute. He wasn't judging me. He was helping me. He wasn't doing to beat me up and say how sorry. He was saying, listen, you've got to come on. You know, the Bible's very clear that it says you'll be known by your fruit. It's very easy to look at people's behavior because that's their fruit. And a lot of times, you know, that's what it takes. Someone looking at you and saying, and you've got to quit doing that. The wages of sin is death. You keep doing that stuff and it won't be good. I want to highlight something at the end of verse 2. He said, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now turn over a couple books to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Judging others is extremely dangerous. And you say, why is that? Because I believe it's distasteful to God. And, and when you look at everything that the fast deals with there in, in Isaiah 58, whether it's being selfish, whether it's sin, whether it's being judgmental or critical, every one of those are distasteful to Father God for every one of us. Luke 6, before I read it, remember what we just, we just left there with. With the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you used, it will be measured back to you. Now, the reason I read that, guys, it's a universal law. The ground yields the seed that was put into it. And some of you say, yeah, but that that pertains to giving. It does. But it pertains to a little bit more than that. And I want you to look back with me at verse number 36. And let's look at this. He says, therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. James 2.13 says this judgment is without mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And so right here in, in verse 36, he's telling me this. That when you sow judgment, you better get ready. 
If you sow mercy, mercy's going to come back around to you. And this is, a, this is a spiritual law that's happening all the time. Now, let me ask you, do you sow mercy? Mercy is just kindness. Mercy is, is, is forgiven. Verse number 37. Judge not, and I'm going to add a few things here. Judge not people, and people shall not judge you. Condemn not people, and people shall not condemn you. Forgive people, and, and people will forgive you. Now this becomes very clear, and, and when you tie it back into verse 38, he said, with the measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. So if I, if I give mercy, guys, whoo, mercy going to come back to me. If I withhold mercy, if I give judgment, that's what's going to happen to me. If you feel like everywhere you go, all you're doing is being judged, it may be an indicator that you've judged. That's all you've done. Now, it's easy to get caught in this trap for every one of us, but remember the thought. This is very distasteful to Father God. And life for every one of us is a garden that grows the seeds that I plant. How do you like your garden right now? Let me give you a little insight on, on judging what it is and isn't. When you begin to observe what other people have done in, your, in, your, in their behavior, that's not judging, that's just observation. Remember, you'll be known by your fruit, so when you see what other people have done, you can look and say, wow, look at this, look at that. However, when I get over and I think I know why people are doing what they've done, I've now tapped into being judgmental. Because you know what I'm saying? I know why they did it. I know what's in their heart. Now when I do that, I've taken the place of Father God because Father God is the only one who knows the heart, truly. And so this is the difference there between being judgmental and, and, and just observing. When you start thinking you know why people have done it, and you're, you're borderlining on judgment real quick. And nothing in our life has power over you until you give it significance. And when I start judging other people, guess what I've given that? I've given it significance. Now go back to the book of, of John, right here to your right, John chapter 8. And I want to give you a biblical example of this. I want you to see this very clearly on how judgment works. And remember, guys, man, I, I can't get over on that. That stuff becomes so distasteful to Father God. John 8, verse 1. And everyone went up to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, the church or the synagogue, and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So think about this, guys. Jesus got all the people there and he's teaching them in the church. It'd be like a setting like this. Verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the land, brought to him a woman caught in adultery when they had set her in the midst. Now think about this. Right here in the middle of this church, Jesus is teaching these religious fellows. You know what religion is? I'm better than you. I've never made a mistake in my life. They bring this lady in and sit her right in the midst. One thing that always disturbs me about this, I thought the church was for sinners. I didn't know that the church was for perfect people. 
Because if the church was for perfect people, there wouldn't be anybody here. Something begins to happen, though, when we begin to judge people, even for the sins they do, even for the things they've done. So what ultimately happens, we've taken the place of God. God's the only one that judges. Verse 4. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. We caught her red-handed. Now, the last time I studied about adultery, to commit adultery, it takes two people, a man and a woman. Now, isn't it interesting here? Where's the man at? He's nowhere to be found. And so, you know what these fellows were saying? You know, us men, we never make mistakes. It's that woman you gave me. But you see how easy it was for them to even become judgmental? Critical? I mean, where is the man at? It's bad enough that you go after people, but to go after her. So it gets real interesting here. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? The law says, kill her. She deserves it. But Jesus, what do you say? Thus they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not hear. Now, I think at times that I used to envision Jesus writing on the ground, you bunch of idiots. You guys are stupid. But I know he wouldn't have done that. That's my thinking. I would have done that, I promise you. Jesus wouldn't have done that. So when I begin to look at this, and Jesus stoops down and begins to write in the, in the dirt, you know what actually I believe he was doing this for? I was believing he was taking a moment to inquire of Father God and say, Father God, what do I do here? What do I say here? I don't want to do anything to, to, to judge him. I believe with all my heart, on the inside, he's boiling. He, I, I, I think, you know, he, he was tempted as a man. I believe he was thinking, I, I'd love to get a hold of their ears and just twist them a little. James 1.19 says this, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Many times the faults in my life come Because something like this happens and people irritate you. Remember in Luke 17 it says, you're not going to go through this life without offenses. And so a lot of times when people offend us, you know what the first thing we do? We open our mouth. And our mouth becomes a Gatling gun. And how many of you ever just blasted people with your words? And then you walk away and you felt justified. Yes. But see, this is exactly what the Lord's dealing with right here. And I know in my own life that many times if I would just step back and take a minute to gather myself, the anger subsides. Everything begins. I think Jesus was using this to teach me and you a lesson to say, just slow down. Just slow down. Take a few minutes to gather yourself. So Jesus does this, verse 7. So they continued asking him, and he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. 
can you imagine here all these religious guys who they think they're so high mighty? They're, they're sitting there saying, we got him. What's he going to And he throws this at them. Now, you know what this statement does? It locates every one of us. See, it's real, real easy for me to point out all of Eddie's faults, but yet when I have to look in the mirror and say, have I ever sinned? About a thousand times last week, probably. But something happens, and Jesus was saying, listen, guys, get your eyes on you. How many ever figured this out? The only person in this world that you can change is me. You can't change anybody else. You can't change your husband, ladies. I don't care how much you want to. You can't change your wife. You can't change your... You can't change people. And I believe this is what Jesus... Listen, boys. Just look at your own life. Verse 8. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. So Jesus daggers him in a loving way with his word. And then he scoops back down on the ground. You know what I believe he was scooping down this time for? He wanted the words that he said to marinate in their heart. He thought, if I just back up and let the Holy Spirit convict their hearts. You know what? That is the word of God. The Bible says that God sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of their sin. And so I believe he was saying, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm stepping back here for you to convict them of their sin. And I believe that's the same way with us today. That each one of us just ought to think at times. What have I allowed in my heart? Am I bitter? Am I critical? Am I judgmental? There's times I have to look at that and I think, Whoa, what's happened to me? I've got caught up in life. I've got caught up in the world. Verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Now, wouldn't that have been awesome to witness that? And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? You know what I believe he was telling her? They're all just like you. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us has fallen beneath the glory of the Lord. And so he's reassuring her. I got confidence in you. But look how he ends in verse 11. She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. But look how he ends this, guys. Go and sin no more. So right there, Jesus didn't beat her up. He didn't judge her. But yet he said, don't sin no more. And so you know what he does? He does correct her behavior there. And when people correct my behavior, I got to get off of this. Quit judging me. Quit judging. I had a guy here in the church who was 20 years old. And oh my gosh, guys. He would write the stupidest things on Facebook. I thought, dude, do you not realize? And I'm not a Facebooker. I don't do Facebook. Well, how do you know what happened? My wife pointed it out. And so he came in here one Wednesday night, and I said to him in a loving way, I said, dude, you've got to quit doing those things you're doing. And he kind of bowed up, 
And it irritated me. He bowed up like he did. Number one, I deal with my flesh. I want to sling him around, Eddie. I want to say, buddy, I may be in AARP right now, but don't kid yourself. But I didn't. I thought it. I said, but I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what you're doing is sin in God's eyes. And of course, I reflected back to my life and I said, I've been there. I've done exactly the same things you did and I realized what it did. But see, so many times we get off on that. And, and, and right here we got to understand, it's to help each other. Let me tell you a, a true thing that happened to me. Uh, it's, it's several months back. But I came in here and I spoke on a Sunday morning and I, I preached the word of God to the best of my ability and many of you would walk by and say, Pastor, it's good today. And I got home and Shelly could tell something was bothering me and she said, what's wrong? And I said, there's no anointing today. There's no anointing. What does that mean? Well, the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. I can preach the Word and I can preach the Word, but without the Holy Spirit being here, it does no good. And so I could sense it in my own heart. There's no anointing. So I come back the next week and I preach. I leave the same way and it really, really bothers me. So I came back in on Monday and I got before the Lord and I said, Lord, where's the anointing at? I can't keep doing this. And so the Lord refreshed my memory. And he said, you remember a few weeks ago when you were watching that, that minister speak? And you said about him how, what a horrible teacher he was and he was a wannabe and da-da-da-da-da. And you guys said, Pastor, you said that? Yeah, every bit of it. Every bit of it. I said, yeah, Lord, I remember that. And he said, when you get over and you become judgmental and you become critical, you better get ready. Because what you end up doing is you quench my spirit and you grieve him. And I said, oh, Father God, I've got I to repent. Lord, I don't want that. I don't want that. Now, the next week I came in here, not only did I preach, I preached with an anointing. I was like, yes. But you know what it took? Me taking responsibility and repenting for what I did. Now, I'm going to throw this in here for some of you. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care if you're a salesman, a teacher, a coach, a plumber, electrician. Whatever you do, when you start judging other people that have the same occupation as you, you better get ready. This is exactly what the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, it's almost like you slap them in the face and you say, he's a sorry plumber. He doesn't know. He's a sorry teacher. He doesn't have no control over his classroom. And so what ends up happening is we act like we're the standard. We're the perfect one. Now, if you ever do that, guys, and you've got to start repenting. But even a bigger one the Lord pointed out to me, he said, when I've blessed you with certain gifts and talents, and you start parading them, and you start judging other people that have the same gifts and talents that you do, you better get ready. You know what I said? What do you mean, Lord? And he said, just like you did. Other people that are gifted to speak, and you went after them. And he said, it's just like a person that can sing in praise and worship. Being gifted to sing. They act like, whoo, man, I just developed this gift. God gave you that. When you begin to whack around on other singers, if you're a guitarist and you begin to say, that's horrible on the guitar. I tell you guys, we tap into something that isn't good. Because we start putting ourselves above other people. 
And so you know what I find myself doing? If I can't say anything good, it's like mama said. Don't say nothing good, bad at all, then just shut up. Just shut up. And I'm telling you guys, that, that will arise in me at times. It's almost like hear the Lord saying, shut up. And sometimes he'll get real authoritative with me. I mean, where it is a powerful, be quiet. I'm like, yes. And so you'll hear me many times, man, I'll boast on other ministers and say, God bless them. You know why? Number one, we're on the same team anyhow. But here's a thought I want to give you. Revelations 12.10 says, the devil is known as the accuser of the brethren. So you know what that means? All day long. He parades himself before Father God and the Lord Jesus. And he says, Father God. I don't know that he addresses him as a God, being the devil. But he says, you know that Gary Taylor? This is what he does over and over and over again. And then he comes down the aisle and he says, you know, this is what that David Burns has done. So all day long, all he does is yaks about us as the, the brethren. He accuses us. And, and so you understand this, that in a court of law, with God being the supreme judge... God sits there and looks at it. And then he looks over at Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus stands up and he shows Father God the scars in his hands. And he shows him the stripes on his back. And Father God says, innocent. Gary Taylor, innocent. David Burns, innocent because of the blood of Jesus. But what ultimately happens, guys is when I begin to chime in and I yak all day and I'm judgmental and critical of other other person, guess what? I have now placed myself in the devil's choir. Now, I want to give you a real good image of that. This is like the choir and the devil, the supreme leader of the accuser of the brethren, is down there directing the choir and right there on the back row is Pastor Storm. He just, yes. Guys, when I thought of that, I don't want to be in his choir. It tore me up. I thought, I don't want to have anything to do with him in my life. And I believe this, guys, right here. That part of the peace and part of the blessings in our life comes when we get a hold of this stuff. You want to increase in peace in your life? Start minding your own business. This is a big one. Everybody doesn't always want to know your opinion. I used to think that. Well, everybody wants to know. Everybody care less about your opinion at times. And so there's times in my, I just got to be quiet. I just got to be slow to, to, to speak and swift to hear. See, a lot of times we get that backwards. We're swift to hear and or, or swift to speak, but slow to hear. This will be a big revelation to some of you, but that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. He didn't give you two mouths and one ear. Because he knows our, our tongue can be a weapon. Stand up with me here today. Sure is quiet in this prison.